0: David is going to proclaim God's grace tonight. Can I ask Hudson, would you go get me a water real quick? That'd be great. So um, Peter mentioned Psalm 110, and you can turn there. Uh, It was one of his proof texts for his message. And as I was thinking and meditating on that, I thought, you know, I'd like to go back to Psalm 110 it just there's so many tie-ins to this song from what we've studied recently certainly peter um, mentioning it in his message and um, the promise of jesus coming and and reigning and the whole idea of sitting at the right hand and authority and power Um, and then also the tie-in of the davidic promise that we've seen in our study of david and it just, it was it was too good to pass up. Uh, so we're going to look at a study. Uh, this isn't a long psalm, so we might even get done a little bit early. That's okay to do once in a while. Psalm 110. And um, we're going to look at this psalm tonight and then maybe take another night or two in the evenings to look at the ramifications of that. This is... Uh, probably can be said the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted many, many times, and so I'd like to look at those passages in the future. Today we're going to look at this and see how, just like in Acts chapter 2, it was used. Uh, Peter attributed to David the role of a prophet. Remember, we saw this morning in regards to this very psalm. And it's interesting, there are still some scholars today that attempt to apply this to David's life, his earthly situation as king, but just a cursory reading through this, folks, you can tell that that's a stretch to um, attribute most of this to the experiences in David's life, especially in the light of interpretation in the New Testament. I mean, Peter made it very clear this was not David, right? I hope you caught that this morning, saying. Uh, David's tombs right over here, that marble marker that King Herod made. Uh, He obviously uh, saw corruption in death. And so um, David is acting as a prophet here and speaking um, more than what he knew, but through the work of the Spirit. Um, It does, I think, as you read in context what was going on, even in Jesus' ministry, the, the Messianic expectations, of the Messiah to come and rule and reign and have victorious reign, almost certainly they were thinking back to this psalm and many others, Psalm 110, and thinking our Messiah will be a future, he'll be a victorious king, and when Jesus seemed to be that to them, and of course he was, um, their expectations was that he was going to reign and he was going to do away with Rome and all of these things because of psalms like this. And so it needed context, and Peter helped provide that. The New Testament helps provide that, and we'll look at that in the next few weeks. But let's just go to this Psalm 110 and briefly go through it. Um, as we read through it, I think it's obvious that even the understanding that Peter had that, that really not possible for David to have. David couldn't have had a full understanding of the fulfillment of this text, but I do think he knew this much. I think is why he was so felt so humbled before God. He knew that one would come from his line. That would be a completely victorious king, and it would bring salvation to his people. And that seems obvious in this. And the Holy Spirit is using then David as a prophet to speak these words, to write these words. It would become a psalm that the people uh, would sing together for hundreds of years. We still... Um, have it today in the book of Psalms, the Psalms, and so uh, we're going to see today the theme or tonight, my Lord at God's right hand, and let's just read verses one through three, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies, your people will offer them Freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. There's some different interpretation or textual things here. The reign of a mighty his team. He'll want to be on his side, and so. David will continue this victorious theme throughout the rest of the psalm. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding tonight. This psalm that was so influential in the life of, of, of your nation and your people, and so many expectations from this song that Jesus himself. Had to clarify certain mixed interpretations. Peter and the others, and Paul, the writer of Hebrews, and others would all clarify the prophecy in this song. But at the end, let us help help us understand tonight that this, in a brief picture, gives us again tremendous hope that in the midst of all the wickedness and the animosity. And the opposition that we face in this world today, that we serve the king, the victorious one, the one who is your king, that you have chosen as king to rule over us. And that, Father, he will come in return. And he will provide this glorious victory that your people have looked forward to for thousands of years. So help us as we go through this brief psalm tonight to also be encouraged, to remain steadfast, that we would also want to be on this side of this glorious, powerful king. And thankful for all of those that serve faithfully. We have chosen to serve the king, and we are glad for that. We look forward to the day when he is vindicated throughout the whole world. So help us give us further understanding tonight in this. For it's In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My Lord at God's right hand. Let's go to verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And notice that this is Yahweh, the God of Israel, speaking. He is the one who is Lord. Yahweh says to David, is calling him my Lord. And we, we discussed this. Peter helped us understand this. But just in case... Uh, We're still a little fuzzy on this. Uh, David is saying there is one, even though he is the high king, he is the one that's ruler of all. He's saying here, there is one who is Lord over me. He's my Lord, even as king. There is one, and David recognizes, that outranks me and that I'm subservient toward, and he is my Lord. And so David is saying, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is saying to my Lord, the one who's over me, you sit at my right hand. He is giving this greater king who's greater than David. King Yahweh has chosen as his human representative to rule and reign. Remember when he says, sit at my right hand, that is a position of power and authority that only God can have. And so this Lord that David's talking about is certainly a powerful Lord indeed. He would have to be deity in order to have this kind of authority. Um, And God, the God of Israel has given this one, his chosen king, all authority, all power. And there will be one day at the end of verse one, until I make your enemies your footstool, where this king will act. And all of his opposition and foes will be destroyed. And all will recognize him as victorious. Now, we saw in this morning's message an initial fulfillment of that in Jesus' ascension. Um, He is at the right hand. He does have that authority. He is our king. That second part, even though he does give us victory, he protects us. He helps us to go through opposition. And uh, protects us from wicked people and those that have disobeyed, those that have rejected God. Obviously, there has not been a full victory yet, but there will be one day. And this phrase, I make your enemies until I make your enemies your footstool, what does that mean? That probably refers to a very ancient custom of a victorious king who, when he would um, defeat an enemy, It would actually bring the king before him, and he would place his foot on the enemy king's neck, and that would signify that I have total power over you. I have won. What an amazing picture, then, that this one will come who's over David, and he will, all of his enemies, he will have this kind of control and power over, and in victory, say, I have won over all of you. Not to be too shallow here, but the old game... The kids used to play King on the Mountain. You get a little rough at times, right? Push. Kids run up the mountain and then they push other kids off. Especially you know, to always the bullies seem to enjoy that game the most, you know? The big kids. But the whole point was that eventually there would be one person left standing and that person would be the King of the Mountain. If I could say this reverently, this Lord, this one that Yahweh has chosen to be King the human representative of his authority and power, he will be king on the mountain eternally. And everyone will recognize that. Then look at uh, verse two. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Well, the scepter, of course, is the symbol of power and authority. And who gives this king that kind of authority? Well, it's the Lord himself. It's the God of Israel. That That's a little, don't you, wouldn't you agree that's more authority and power than David ever had? Now, David was successful over his enemies, right? And some look at this and say, well, see, he's just referring to David's success over his enemies. But no, as we continue here, we'll see, no, this is total, complete victory for the enemies never to rise up again, eternally vanquished. And he will hold this king that God has chosen will hold that mighty scepter of authority forever given to him. And he will rule from Zion. He will rule on David's throne, just as was promised to David in the Davidic covenant. And he says, rule in the midst of your enemies. All of the enemies, all of those that are opposed, all people will bow the knee and will acknowledge his rule. I mentioned this before, but, I'm looking forward to that. Of course, we won't have any trouble bowing before our eternal king, King Jesus. But there are many right now that shake their fists at God, and they twist God's morality and his principles, and they laugh, and they call us the evil ones and twist things around. And, folks, I hope this doesn't sound too vitriolic or, or bitter, But I'm looking forward to seeing certain politicians and kings and leaders of nations bow the knee before the eternal king, this one who is my Lord, as David says here. And all the enemies, all the opposition will recognize his authority and bow before him. Well, with that kind of success record, you're going to attract a lot of people to your side. And that's what verse three is about, even though we have, um, there are some things, the way that they're phrased in the Hebrew, are a little hard to um, translate, but we can still get the basic uh, idea of what's going on here, and that is that when people, your people, those that um, God has called to himself, your people will offer themselves freely, verse 3. They will want to be on, and they will give themselves freely over for service, and commit themselves, saying, I want to be, I want to fight with that king. I want to be on his team. I want to be a part of his kingdom. And I'm ready. And um, your, so let's look at this verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely, not holding back, saying, I want to be, I want to help. This eternal king who's going to be victorious. I want to be in his side. I want to be serving alongside of him. And I'll gladly offer my services. I'll give my whole life to him. Isn't that a picture of what a servant of Jesus Christ should be? Recognizing who he is and his character and his power and majesty and saying, I want to serve him with joy. I don't hold nothing back freely. Freely. I want to give my all to him on the day of your power, or you could translate that as well on the day you leave your forces as you're going as this mighty King, God has given him all authority and power. As He gets ready to battle the enemy. All of those that are God's people say, let me go with you. I want to serve. I want to, I want to be a part of this grand, this glorious day. And it says here in holy, Garments or an interestingly, another way to translate the Hebrew is on the holy mountains, and it seems the best way just to understand this is um, the the, the, mag, uh, the majestic um, view and the beauty of the mountains that the garments of the armies of this king will be majestic, they'll be holy, they'll be awe-inspiring. That makes sense. Um, and it will be a wonderful thing to see this king come with his forces and these folks that have said, I want to be, I want to be a part of that army, I want to serve him faithfully. And then it says even more interesting here, from the womb of the morning is what the ESP says. Well, that is that is a really interesting translation of that. Basically, the idea, it's a little um what's the word I'm trying to think of here? Well, it's a little hard to understand, but basically this picture here, the womb of the morning, has the idea of the dawn. When does the dew come? Because in the next verse, the next phrase, it says, the dew of your youth will be yours. The dew comes in the morning. So this seems to be the picture of when dawn comes. And in the darkness that has been a part of our world for so long, in the darkness that we are experiencing right now, folks, the dawn is coming. And the dew of your youth will be yours. When Jesus returns in his power and might, it will be a glorious thing, and we'll want to have a part of it. What does that mean, the dew of your youth will be yours? That seems to have the idea, I think, best, the eternal vigor of youth. In other words, that those armies that are coming along uh, with this grand king, this majestic, all-powerful king, will have eternal um, youthfulness. And I think it also refers to the king as well, that he will never become old or decrepit, and those that follow him will never. Well folks, do we have any sort of picture? This is a little obscure. that's the word I was looking for, even though we can understand basically, because of the Hebrew wording here. but do we have a picture in the New Testament of Jesus return and with armies that are ready to serve him and ready to go to battle? Now, it's a quick. It's a quick victory, right? The king does it all, basically. But still, this picture here, it seems best to include ourselves in this one day. As we're raptured, or as uh, we, during the day of the Lord, that time of judgment, we come and we return with Jesus, uh, ready uh, to, to uh, battle, and the eternal youth will be in our resurrected bodies. And Jesus will be in his. And we'll never have to worry about getting old or getting hurt again. And this, this, then this picture is of us serving faithfully our leader, our king, and Jesus having eternal victory, complete victory. So here we have the picture. God's king will rule victoriously in the first part of the psalm. But then he changes focus here. God's king will serve as priest eternally as well. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. The the picture here is the Lord has given an oath. And you remember in the Old Testament how serious an oath was. God told his people, you don't swear an oath without following through on it. You know, sometimes there will literally be at the point um, um, at... The cost of, of even death, if you weren't careful, if you didn't follow through on an oath. So if the Lord's going to expect that of his people, certainly if he's going to swear an oath, you better believe he's going to make good on it. He says, Yahweh himself has sworn an oath and will not change his mind. Now, also that picture, he is not going back on this promise that this king that he has chosen, he says to him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, this same king will also serve eternally as a priest. And doesn't this certainly go far beyond anything that David ever experienced? Now, I would like to clarify something that I mentioned in our study with David. This kind of gives me an opportunity to do that. Um, I do think there is some correlation here that helps us understand uh, why. why does David just in the middle of the psalm just bring up this obscure king from Genesis, right now Melchizedek. This just seems kind of out of place, right? And talking about um, this victorious king, but he's also going to be a priest, and he's not going to be of the order of the Levitical order under Aaron. But he's going to be—he's going to circumvent that entirely. He's going to be of the order of Melchizedek. It seems kind of random just to throw that in there. Um, now, ultimately, what this is saying. Is, is that Christ, and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, because I'm going to continue this theme as we look in the New Testament, um, as the New Testament explains this psalm, Hebrews is going to talk about the fact that Jesus is of a superior order of priests through Melchizedek. Melchizedek, remember, we talked about this with David, is the king in Genesis that was both king and priest, although We don't have any evidence of him being a prophet, so be careful there. But then, remember I mentioned that it seems best, remember David is functioning, it seems, and I think um, this interpretation is accurate, is that David is being allowed to take part. He's wearing the linen ephod when they go in and bring the ark into Jerusalem, I think from My study and what I can tell of David in offering these sacrifices, he certainly had the help of the priest, but I think David was involved in this as well. So David was somehow allowed by God to have, enjoy some of these functions of the priesthood. But remember when I said that, I do want to be careful that I'm not misunderstood. Uh, Don't misunderstand that I'm saying that David was actually a priest. I want to be careful and back up from that. If I, I by any way, indicated that um, I didn't mean to, Uh, David may have had some of the functionality. He may have, the Lord may have privileged him to be able to do some of these things, but I don't think in any way we should think of David as a priest. I think that goes too far. Because Melchizedek was a prophet, or not, not a prophet, a king and a priest. David was a king, and we found out from Peter this morning, David was a prophet. I don't think I would call David a priest, even though God uh, blessed him with some of these privileges. And I do believe that as he went to thank the Lord for the Davidic covenant, it says that he went in. I think there's a good chance that he went in before God in the temple in a way that was a privilege only of the high priest. But God allowed David to do that. And remember that I said, how... How then could David have those privileges? And I think one explanation that makes sense of that is that, remember, Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Well, that eventually became Jerusalem. And when David conquered Jerusalem, I think there was an understanding that he also was able to have some of these privileges of the priest, not that he was a priest. And that that kind of feeds into my whole point here. Uh, um, my summary of this is that there's only in the end the person that this psalm is is pointing to the ultimate fulfillment. That there will only be one person in the history of the world for all eternity that's prophet, priest, and king. It's not David and it's not Melchizedek, but I do think that David is a picture of this one that will come a messianic picture. And, um, so it makes sense to me that David is weaving in this theme. How will this uh, person that will come, this king that will come from his line? It makes sense if he is already, in a sense, um, looking looked at as as the um, uh, the replacement of Melchizedek of the Zoria, tie in with David there. And so that one from his line, you would expect it would make sense that that person then would be able to be prophet, priest, and king. Because of David's connection with Melchizedek, even though David's not prophet, priest, and king, all of this ties together. And the Lord is weaving these things together for the one that will ultimately fulfill this. So I think David will have that in mind as well. Not that to be just randomly pulled Melchizedek out of, out of nowhere. But there is a tie-in in his understanding to the privileges God has given him. So this king will rule victoriously, but will also serve as priest eternally. And then finally, God's king will conquer as a mighty warrior. The Lord is at your right hand, verse 5. And he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. And this is obviously a very vivid picture of victory, right? He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. The Lord is at your right hand. This has, in verse 5, in verse 1, it has the idea of someone sitting and reigning. In verse 5, it has the idea of Yahweh going out through the power of his king to battle. And so Yahweh has sent um, from his right hand the king that will defeat all kings. And not just defeat, will decimate all enemies shatter kings on the day of his wrath the day of his wrath the day of the Lord Okay, if this is the wrath of the king and he's tying that to the day of the Lord then it's God's wrath it's the king that is delivering God's wrath to his enemies he will execute judgment again among the nations and this vivid picture here of total decimation of his enemies over the whole wide earth and then this interesting last verse, he will drink from the brook, by the way, and therefore he will lift up his head. It almost seems that if this king gets tired and he has to get some refreshment and then he will continue and be victorious. But uh, really the picture here of certain victory, probably um, that's not the best way to think of that. This is probably a celebratory drink that is talking about here, that he will be victorious and he, they will celebrate By drinking and refreshments together, and he will be lifted up as king overall. Now, back to the whole point of this. Could this really be just about David? Obviously, from what we learned from Peter this morning and from reading through this, no, this this has far greater implications than anything. David can't fulfill this psalm. David's a prophet. But there will be one that will come, and that one is Jesus. Peter showed us that today, and Jesus would fulfill this. The beginning of the fulfillment of this and some of the other promises was at Pentecost after his death and resurrection. And one day Jesus will return full victory as prophet, priest, and king, and we will bow before him. And those of us who are on his team, folks, will rejoice wouldn't it be wonderful in the midst of, of the awfulness of the wrath of the coming judgment? That will be awful. But to have our prophet, priest, and king, our Lord, we say with David, He's my Lord. He's my Lord, Jesus Christ, will come back and will bring righteousness. And we won't have to deal with any of these issues anymore where people can't even understand what gender they are. Uh, And uh, where all these things are are celebrated, uh, just, you know, even even corporations, even restaurants that we've enjoyed uh, eating at probably multiple times are all getting on the bandwagon with um, these different things, LGBT and and the community and, and publishing things. And it's just so grievous. It's like, I can't even eat at this particular place anymore because of what they're supporting and all of this. It's just overwhelming sometimes. But folks, remember, there is one that's going to come and it's been prophesied. He's been prophesied all the way back in the Old Testament. We can count on it. He will return and make everything right and all will bow before him. And he will rule. I hope it's soon. In the meantime, let's proclaim... Our King, our Lord, and pray that people will trust in Him. As Peter said this morning, choose Christ before, in the midst of this wicked generation. Don't choose the judgment of this wicked generation, but choose Christ and forgiveness of sins. And let's proclaim that in confidence. Lord, he's, or people, He's coming. We know that. So let's let's praise, let's let's proclaim him and talk and, and let our community know of the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus and victory that we have through him. Father, thank you for your word. This short psalm, but obviously one that has so impacted so many of the writers in the New Testament, and we'll see that in the next few weeks. But the reminder that Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm. As David looked forward to his coming, we look back to his first coming, looking forward to his second coming and the victory that will take place. But help us in the midst of that to stay faithful, committed, and serving you faithfully. Lord, help us to have the joy that's described in verse 3. Offer ourselves freely, without strings attached. Lord, use me. And energized because we know that he's returning. And help us to be faithful until he does return. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.